Hi, and welcome to the sixth episode of Breaking Free Podcast, a body-mind-spirit approach to mental health. I'm your host, Summer Seitz. I'm a licensed mental health counselor, and I'm really excited today to talk to you about relationships. It seems like the last several podcasts we've been talking about healing, healing as an inside job, and I try to imagine what it would be like to be the listener. You know, what is she trying to say to me? I am a deep thinker, and I, I look for things that are like paradoxical. And I could see a paradox forming in my mind that I really wanted to make sure uh, that I was being clear about um, in my understanding. And the paradox is that while healing may be an inside job, right, this is something that we take responsibility for. Um, we do meet our unmet needs, right? These have been some of the last podcasts. It's still, it's still true. It's a psychobiological fact that we're created to be in relationship with each other, right? We're created for relationship. We're never going to be able to turn off that deep loneliness that comes up when we feel like we're not seen or heard or witnessed in this life. I don't believe that's something that we should turn off, you know? I don't think we're meant to get to a point where we have removed all attachments. Um, That's a thought, right? I, I study mindfulness and I really love a lot that it Exposes, but there's a point where mindfulness and I come into kind of disagreement, if you will. And that's that we're supposed to have no attachments. I think what we want to do is remove attachments to things that are of lower energy, right? Things that are a lower uh, origin, right? We don't want attachments to worldly things, maybe, or things that aren't real, or maybe things that we don't take with us, right? When we pass away. I can't take money with me when I die. I can't take. Uh, status. You know, I can't take those things with me, but I can take with me the impact that I've made in the lives of others. And I can take with me the character I've developed. I can take with me, I hope, and I believe the relationships I've formed. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And uh, to be fully transparent, you know, here is that I'm trying to move you in that way. And if that speaks to you, then this, this podcast is for you. So let's look at this paradox, right? How could that be true? Because I'm not, I'm not going to say that I don't still believe that healing's an inside job. You know, we enter this world singly, we exit it singly. So I do think there are a lot of things, uh, choices uh, that we get to have responsibility for. We have the pathway to success if we choose it. That doesn't mean there won't be great opposition. But I want to tell you something that I have learned recently that my higher power has just really brought to my heart is true, is that um, wisdom, growth comes of experience, right? We have experiences here that are difficult in life. We have experiences that shake us to our knees at times. I've had some of those experiences and they are my greatest teachers. You know, when I look back on, on those things, I would never wish them upon myself again or maybe anyone else, but I can tell you that the times when I have suffered, the, the, the painful learning has brought the greatest depth of love and compassion and understanding into my life. When we chose to move towards love and healing and move away from bitterness from those experiences, those things really do make us stronger, right? So while we have relationships that injure us, we also learn and, and can be have gratitude for those experiences when we turn them over and let them be healed. And we're going to talk a little bit more kind of how to do that today. What does that look like? Because some of you are thinking maybe, but I'm in a difficult relationship or I'm still hurting from a past difficult relationship and I don't know how to move forward as my true and highest self. 
and I, I, I am there often, you know, and I also step out of it often. So I want to show you what that, that looks like. Um, the first thing I'd like to do is just talk about a book. I, I, some of you have let me know that it's the personal stories that I share with you that actually mean the most. It's not the psycho mumbo jumbo. Um, I would agree that's me too. I'm a storyteller. Um, one of my favorite things about my mom is that she's a great storyteller. Um, she studied love and logic, which is kind of a storytelling method of working with children and, and you know parenting model. And I agree that I've, I've attended that seminar and when, as we tell stories, sometimes things really stick. So I may not be a master storyteller like she is, but I'd love to, you know, share some of my stories with you. And one of my stories is when I came across the book, it's called Reconciliation, Our Greatest Challenge, Our Only Hope by DeYoung in graduate school. Now, I went to a graduate school that was a private Christian university called George Fox University in Portland, Oregon. Now, I selected it not necessarily because of the religious factor, although I thought that would be a beneficial thing as a spiritual person myself, um, but because I, because of, well, first of all, I felt prompted to go there. I honestly felt guided, but because it was proximity to my house, you guys, I had a two-year-old when I started graduate school and I was planning on having more children. And my second child was actually born two years into my graduate program. So that proximity was kind of important, but man, was I in for more than I bargained for. I stepped into a school, which its basis had a kind of a Quaker basis, which again, not a religious system that I had had any familiarity with. But while people had often Christian belief there, there was people from all different beliefs, right? We had, I had a Muslim friend, I had a Jewish friend, I had agnostic friends that were like, hey, I just wanted to do this program. I had, there were people that were very, very devout to their faith. And there were people who were like, I'm spiritual, not religious, right? So we had this blend of people, but yet our professors were teaching, um, you know, religious concepts in connection with counseling um, as well. So it was a very interesting environment. And we had classes on, you know, religions of the world and, um, and, and different concepts. And, and, and the point of the program, which I'm really grateful for, was that all of us from different walks of life would come out having a deep respect for people of all faiths, that people could bring their faith as part of the counseling experience and, and, and let it be a strength or a weakness. That was actually great because we talked a lot about shame and how not all people experience religion the same and how for some it's been very damaging in their lives. And so we are able to come out of that with this perspective of meeting people where they're at and really uh, not imposing on them who we are, but accepting them where they're at and helping them along their process. And that was so, so important. I can tell you 11 years later, I look back and think that was such a a benefit in my education to learn how to do that. I, I feel like it's benefited me as I've been able to sit with people coming from very different places from me and holding space for that. So we live in a society sometimes that has this problem, right? We have reconciliation with each other. Seeing ourselves and others is what's necessary for growth. That is what's necessary to come together but we have divisions, right? We have walls and barriers and prejudgments or prejudices, I call them, to each other, assuming that we are different in some form, right? We create this separation. And we do that 
naturally as a defensive mechanism, right? I'm different from you, therefore maybe you're not safe or you know, you don't see the world that as I am, so maybe you're a threat to me. And that is just something that we do. I, it seems to be rampant right now in the, you know, social political scene and I I'm grateful for those that are speaking out to the idea of this reconciliation and seeing, you know, ourselves in each other. There is a post that I'd like to bring your attention to if you want to think more on this. It was from November of last year um, and my and wholewomenlink.com, but it's titled We Are All the Same. And it's a story of a young boy named Nikosi who I read his book, We Are All the Same, same title, uh, this last year. And it really touched me. He was a, a boy who contracted the AIDS virus. He, lives in South, he lived in South Africa. He ended up being raised... Um, by a family other than his mother because of her also being ill and unable to do so. And just his, how touched he, how much he touched others with his ability because of his suffering, right? Because of his difficulty, his challenging experience that he, he became someone of great wisdom, you know, and towards the end of his life, he was interviewed by, um, you know, many reporters. He spoke at age, age conventions, but this young boy and his capacity to, overcome these prejudices and see this connection between us all became very inspiring, especially at a time when there was much discussion on, you know, the AIDS virus and people not understanding uh, how to come close to those people with fear, right? There was a lot of fear around this issue. And this is what he said that I just want to say to you. We are all the same. We are not different from one another. We belong to one family. We love, we laugh, we hurt, we cry. We live, we die. Don't be afraid of us. We are all the same. I really believe that at its core. I have worked with so many different people over the past, you know, 11 years. I've worked with those that offend and those that are injured by offense. And, you know, both of them are struggling with the same, you know, desire to, you know, seek happiness and success and doing it from very different angles. I've learned that everybody has a story. And when you know their story and hear their story, you realize their humanity and you you see your brother or sister in that person, even if you don't agree with the behavior, even if the behavior is, you know, unacceptable, that person isn't, you know, there's worth there in that person. And, um, I think that's what we have to do. Compassion is the key to reconciliation. And I would also add here that gratitude is another key. And we'll be talking about that towards the end of this podcast. But keep that in mind, right? If we want to be reconciled to ourselves and to those in our life, that we're going to need compassion, both on self and others. And we're also going to need gratitude. Okay, so today, though, we're going to talk a little bit about something called attachment theory. If we're going to talk about being connected to others, we've got to dive into attachment theory. Lucky for me, I studied attachment theory in great depth in my graduate program. Um, I wrote my master's thesis on uh, a theory of counseling that's based on the attachment theory. So I'm going to give you kind of the 411, you know, just the 411. I'm going to give you the summarized cliff note version of that a little bit today because I think it's really important to understand how we attach and also how attachment gets disrupted. Uh, in order to understand what you're going to need to do uh, to be aware of that for yourself. Because I promise you, attachment is playing out in your everyday life, whether you're aware of it or not. And I think it's important to be aware of something so that we can 
um, you know, get in front of it, if you will, be responsive to it versus reactionary. So attachment theory teaches us how self can be healed and also lost and injured. Innately to the theory, it says that we are biologically motivated and we're actually psychobiologically motivated to seek proximity to significant others in times of need, right? We are, without injury, we will naturally seek to connect, be seen, loved, connected with other people. We see that in really young children, right? If there's no injury, if they have a very secure home, they're generally loving and open and connected and we feel that, okay? Um, that's actually great. It's, it creates protection, self-development, that security gets internalized. Kids with the most strong attachment go out into the world confidently. They're actually able to leave the womb, you know, the home, the, womb, the house, and go out into the world and be independent. So there's concepts sometimes like, oh, if you love them too much, if you hug them too much, that they'll end up becoming very dependent. And what we know from research is it's the opposite. Yeah, you can't hug a baby too much. What happens is they internalize that sense of security there's a time and a place where you start to let them make steps away, right? Um, and that's important too. I often say that like in from a childhood development standpoint, from the minute, you know, that baby, that bill cord cord is cut, there's just steps of letting go, like like saying goodbye, you know, letting that child move further and further away, but as it's developmentally appropriate. So there's 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 dichotomy between between, you know, connection and separation in this model. But let's look at what happens when you don't have it. Let's say you go to seek proximity with someone um, and they're not available to you. They're not emotionally and physically available to you. Um, they, there's some sort of you know, dissonance there. Maybe they're shut down. They, um, they're preoccupied, right? All of us, I know I'm a parent now, I promise you that I've, there's some attachment wounds or need of therapy in my kids. Of course there is because... I can't always be 100% available, right? We're never able to really 100% meet the needs of other people because we are also seeking to meet our own needs. And there will always be that, you know, and the needs of our work and our, you know, you know, all those things that pull at us. So this is not about guilt. Oh, no, I've ruined my child because I haven't met their every need. And what I'm trying to tell you is that uh, this is going to be a process for them. And if, and if you don't meet their every need, perhaps that's one of their teachers in this life, right, as how to deal with that um, in the future. So, but what will happen to us when those needs are not met, particularly if they're grossly unmet, right, is that we see two things develop. People either get anxious or they get avoidant. Okay, so we have anxious people, right? They're getting anxious. They struggle to self-soothe. They seek to control things. Uh, there's often self-loathing, insecurity, shame-based thinking patterns. Um, you know, they are always assuming that people don't really want to be with them, or if they do find somebody, they're gonna they better hold on tight. Um, and this over-anxious attachment, right? This moving toward people with this kind of um, pressure can often get people to step back and push away. So it's the opposite, right? This anxiety has a tendency to kind of overwhelm people. And so the very thing they're seeking, often they don't get, right? We'd learn with children that when they're very anxious, they often have less friends. Uh, and the ones that are secure and securely attached have more friends. And it's sad because the anxious kids need it more even, but they don't. They This behavior actually tends to push people away. Well, then you have the avoidant. Now, maybe the avoidant had someone that was so unavailable or so dangerously uh, connected, right? So maybe they went to their parents and their parents would get angry or violent or 
or they were just completely shut down. And it hurt so badly to keep going and asking for that. They just learned to turn it off. Um, and we see that too. And that's another form of survival. This is not bad. I mean, if we didn't have these capacities, people wouldn't survive, right? They wouldn't survive their pain, their painful upbringing. So it's really important that the brain and the mind can do this. Uh, the question is, do we want to live it out in, the, in our adult lives? But people will turn off their needs and information in their body mind will be lost to them. There's a shutdown. Um, they often, when I'm doing kind of an assessment, when I'm meeting with people, I kind of look for their story. There's gaps in their story, like years are missing that they're unaware of because they just shut down that whole story. They don't have something called integration. Uh, we'll talk about in a moment, but uh, they lack self-insight. And when others seek proximity to them, they are often feel uh, overwhelmed by that. Maybe they disdain it. They have kind of an internal belief that, hey, we don't need anybody and weak people need others, right? It's all about being independent because that's kind of become their internal story. They might even get a little bit angry about you putting those emotions in front of them because they don't like to deal with emotions, not in themselves and not in other people. So this isn't an adaption. You know, we adapt to survive just like plants and animals do. But here's the good news. Okay. Okay, great. Summer, now you've depressed me, right? <laughs> okay. But the good news is, is that we are able to be what we call learned secure, okay? Our brain is plastic. It is constantly remaking itself. So what we need is experiences in the present that are corrective, that correct that past. And we can have those in relationship with others, okay, in the present. And our brain and our body are literally remaking themselves every seven years, okay? So you're able to heal this. Now, I'm not suggesting that for those that have never had injury that that's not easier. Of course, it's easier to just have it. But when I sit down with people that are, have had deep inf healing influence on others in this world, I want you to know that among people that are kind of in a healing profession or a healing mentality, we all kind of talk about it with each other. I, I always say, what's your painful story? You know, where'd your wisdom come from? And every single one of these people with deep wisdom that I've learned from has a story. So I don't know what your higher power is trying to do in you, but I want you to know that we're not meant to be embittered. We're not meant to let the painful story uh, keep us forever down. If we can turn it to healing, it can be a great strength to us. We want to integrate our story and heal. Uh, that's also another blog post, so you can look that up as well. It's a title, um, and that there's some more information in the podcast about that. But you want to be still and know yourself, right? Um, again, this is another, I'm bringing some old articles back up here just to kind of tie things I've already spoken about on Whole Women Link, but that's another one from September, 2018. It's called Be Still and Know Yourself. And there's just some steps there that I'd like to bring out, right? Well, the first step we have is that we want to step back and surrender that anxious and shut down body state and connect to baby breath, you know, connect to possibly higher power or a safe place. Maybe it's just a safe concept. I have clients who will just have a safe place in their mind, like they like to go to, whether it be the beach or a special place, but just get in that body safe space and have compassion on what's showing up for you. You know, just be curious about it and begin to unpack that when you're ready. But you want to wait till your body calms down, your breath slows, you know, you're feeling calm in your body and just collect information. And what I find is this is where, and we're going to talk about now how we bridge this paradox um, where we really need relationship, right? We need to unpack things with an empathic other. 
everybody needs at least one healing relationship, hopefully multiple, but that can be a counselor or a good friend that can mirror back to them their story without judgment and just allow you to take that missing step from childhood, right? You need to still seek proximity to someone who will listen to you and be available and supportive and responsive so that you can process. Now, I talked about in the last podcast that codependence is an issue here, but what I want you to understand is that codependence is when you put responsibility on that other person to heal you, right, to meet your needs. That's not what we're doing here. We're saying, I, I wish to be seen. I wish to be heard. I wish to be mirrored to, right? And we can learn. Maybe we'll have an episode coming up where we talk about how to be a good listener and be that person for someone else. But really, it's about just saying back to them what you hear or see in their lives and just letting them witness themselves. That was what was missing for these this younger child version of ourselves, right? There wasn't anyone to listen to or hear, or understand or witness so that person could become themselves so they could know who they are. And that's kind of what they're still looking for, right? When we do that too with each other, we start to realize what Nikosi realized is that we're all the same, right? We all need just that sense of being known and being accepted as we truly are, our authentic self. We don't mirror back to that person what we want them to be, what we hope they are. That's manipulation. We mirror back where they're really at. And that's tough when it's something painful, right? Maybe your child or your spouse is really angry and you want to say, you know, it's really not okay to be angry because I'm not okay with your emotion. But what would it, what would it be like if you just said, you're really angry right now and you just really don't feel safe, right? You just really feel confused and upset and you feel like I don't understand you, you know, even if it's directed at you, right? That really can soften someone when we know that they actually inside, now that they feel heard, can stop acting out, right? They can turn and go, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. So we have two pet separate people choosing to stand side by side and witness, hear, and hold space for each other. Um, and just a couple other points here. So our relationship with ourselves influences our relationships with I'm sorry, our relationship with ourself influences our relationships with our higher power, family, and others. If I don't like myself, if I don't love and accept my own needs and desires, I'm going to really struggle to accept and love the needs and desires of my family members. So that inner work, like that, you know, healing is an inside job is also present here, right? At the first step is for me to love and accept myself. But sometimes it doesn't go that way, right? I can say that for me in my healing process, it started in the vice versa category here. Our relationship with a higher power of family and others affects our relationship with ourselves. Enter a quick story. So when I was, I believe, 18 in college, we had an activity amongst a bunch of people like in my dorm where, you know, we'd kind of got to know each other in the year and everybody wrote down on a piece of paper the things they, they saw in each other, like the strengths, the good qualities. And then someone typed that up and gave it to us. I remember reading that over and over and over and over and going, is this really true? Like, are those things really who I am? I had this shame-based story going that I was defective, that there was there was things about me that weren't good. You know, maybe there had been things, in my case, there were things that had been said to me that were ringing still true. Uh, one that was I really struggled with is that I had a you know, maybe I had a temper or that my feelings weren't okay. And I wasn't sure if that wasn't true of myself. And when these people saw something so much higher in me, it, it, it moved me to heal. It moved me to change. And I've really recognized that, that it's when we mirror to people their strengths, their value, what is good about them, what is strong about them. Guys, they change themselves. They move in that direction. 
you know, we have it, we often think that it's the critical, like if I tell something what's wrong with them, I tell them what's not good, then they'll be motivated to change. But research shows that shame that they shut down, they don't want to change at all. Or worse, they internalize that and they become more of those things that we're saying to them. If we really want someone to move towards growth, we just need to mirror to them the, the positive things about them, have gratitude for where they're at and who they are, and they will change. Lastly, I just want to share with you um, a, just something that I, came up for me today. We, I told you I would share a little bit about gratitude. Okay, Gratitude is great because it interrupts that pattern of that often happens for people that have poor attachment, right? That I'm all alone or I'm, you know, I'm a bad person or I don't need anyone because we get kind of stuck in our own heads. An anxious, you know, the anxious avoidant wound and self struggles to get outside of their own story and really connect with others. So gratitude interrupts that pattern and resets it. Okay, so couples, and this came out of John Gottman's work in Seattle, Washington, but he talked about how really couples need to practice gratitude. So I'm going to give you this exercise. Hopefully it's something you can take with you and practice, but it's something I practiced this morning myself. But I want you to, what I would like you to do is think about your partner, child, whoever it is you're struggling with relationally. I want you to think about one thing each day that you're uniquely grateful for. It has to be unique. Every single day, it needs to be something new. Why? Because if you just keep saying the same thing, you're not resetting your brain. Okay. We know from a brain research perspective that it needs to be something unique. You have to sort through all that stuff that, that whole story of like, oh, they're not enough. There's nothing good here. And find that one thing you're grateful for. Hey, they picked up their socks today or you know, this person took a shower. I mean, it just, whatever, right? It is May. It is May, crazy May. And I'm a mother of three. So you know what May looks like. It looks like disasterville, trying to keep the house together, get everybody where they need to be. Well, this morning, my son's on his way to school. And, you know, I go up to his room and there's like food that didn't get put away, you know, just, it's not looking great. Right. But I noticed as I'm dropping him off that he's like, Hey mom, I was like, hey, Tyler, like, seriously, you know, giving him a hard time. And he's like, mom, look, I've got a test today. I need to be in a good headspace. Can we talk about this later? I could just see that, like, he was really focused on this math test. And, of course, his room wasn't even on his radar. Like, he wasn't doing that to me. But that inner anxious voice can be like, oh, they don't respect you. This is against you. Nobody hears you. And I had that story going. And I came home and I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. So I stepped back and I had gratitude for this person. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to write him a thank you note. So here's my thank you note. I'm going to read it to you that I wrote to my son. May is such a busy month and you may be feeling overwhelmed. Today I want to say I'm so thankful for your contribution to a, as a person to our family. And then I go into some personal things that he contributes that I won't put here. And then I end with, you are enough. Keep plugging away. I'm on your team, son. Love, mom. Now I know that I'm more likely to have him be motivated to clean his room or do the things I ask, not by me being critical, but by me telling him, I understand you are. And I told him all these things that I do see in him. By the way, they were all things about his personhood, not, Hey, thanks for cleaning the house and all these things. It was things like, and I'll share one of them with you, your sense of humor, your dedication to what you feel is true and authentic, you know, different things that I know are unique to him about who he is. Um, The room's just not as important. In fact, I picked it up a little bit and I'm going to leave this card on his bed because I know he's overwhelmed. I really believe that what we give to others returns to us. You know, seek to show the people in your life that they're enough. It will return to you as well. You're listening. If you mirror to other people that they're not enough, guess what? You're not enough either. 
And I really hope that you will understand that while healing's an inside job, it's practice in relationship. It's a both and. And uh, I hope that you'll find space to see uh, yourself and others, to have gratitude and compassion both on yourself and them, and begin to seek proximity and, and break down that story that you're all alone or you don't need people. Because I promise you that it's beautiful when you can step outside of that and start to, to heal in relationships. Thanks for looking, listening to this podcast today, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon.